you are worthy of all glory, all honor, all praise. Not just because of what you do, but because of who you are. Lord, we glorify your great name this morning. Lord, as, a, as an honor and a blessing to come and sing praises to you. Father, I pray that we would just continue daily to worship you, with not with just our lips, but with our lives, Lord. For you are worthy of our worship. We thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that right now, as we have entered into this building, we have entered into worship, Lord, anything that is not of you, Lord, we cast that off in the name of Jesus. Any conflict that may have happened on the way to church, any confusion that the enemy might be trying to put in our minds, any darkness that tries to stir up, Lord, we just command that junk to leave in the name of Jesus now. And we just want to bask in your presence And if we, like Jacob, came in this place saying, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it, may we now know it. Lord, you are here. May every heart understand that, every mind grasp that. Lord, may we be connecting to you right now in the spirit and in truth. For those who worship you must worship in spirit. And in truth, Lord, I I just thank you for our time together with you today. Lord, if you don't do something here, then what in the world did we come for? It's never a waste of time, we know, to come and worship you. But like Moses, I feel like, Lord, if you don't go with us, we we staying right here. So, Lord, I pray that today you do a mighty work in each of our lives individually, in our church corporately, and in this community. Bring revival, God. We know, we know we're seeing it. You brought the mercy drops. We're ready for the flood. We're ready for the flood. Thank you, God, for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So glad to see you this morning. Without you here, it'd be lonely up here. Amen. <laughs> uh, we tried that with COVID. I ain't doing it again. I ain't doing it no more. <laughs> I didn't like it. Uh, so if we were to ask you who you are, someone were to just come up to you and say, who are you? You're probably going to give them a name. Then you're probably going to tell them what you do. And I just, I want you to think deeper than that, than just the superficial of this is my name and this is what I do. This, you're more than that, right? Everybody understand the difference in, in what you do and who you are? But if you put your identity in what you do, then your identity is constantly changing when you do something different. But what you do is not who you are. You, who you are, you, what you do is because of who you are. Don't get those backwards. As a church, we're going to be talking about today and for the next few Sundays, who we are. Who are we as a church? Everybody with me on that? Anybody with me on that? <laughs> All right. Talk to me now. I need y'all to talk to me, because uh, even if you are in the room, you don't talk to me, it still gets lonely, so y'all talk to me. So, who we are, and can I just express to you, what we do, we do because of who we are. So, if people were to ask you about your church, and people do, people ask, well, tell me about your church, what kind of church is this, who are you as a church? Most people don't really want to know uh, the depths of who we are, they want to know the superficial stuff. 
and I just tolerate that for a little bit. And, and, and I just like, you know, uh, they, they don't really understand. When, when all you're asking about is what style we are, then you don't really understand what church is all about. You don't really understand what the body of Christ is for. If all you care about is what kind of music we sing and what kind of message I preach, you know, what, what kind of style we are, if that's all you really care about, then you don't have much spiritual depth to you. That's superficiality. And, and I want you to know who we are as a church. And maybe I can express to you our DNA, our spiritual DNA as a church, so you can appreciate that even more. And you already know it because you hear me preach this stuff week after week as to who we are. But if you get hung up on what we do, then I need to help you understand what we do is what we do because of who we are. We just finished Love Athens week. We, we got to go out into the community. We got to go out to, to people's homes who had needs. And we got to be the body of Christ in our community with the approval of the city. And not only the approval, they gave us some of the names and said, go minister to those people. Amen. Well, why do we do that? It's not doing that just to stay busy. I'm busy enough, and I know you are too. We do that because of who we are. We believe that as the body of Christ, we are to be making an impact on the city that God planted us in. And for generations to come, we need to be expanding his kingdom. Amen? So what we do is actually just an overflow of who we are. So let me just kind of bring up some points. of. Uh, we're just going to start with some of the main things. But uh, the, the thing that we're going to start with, out of this point comes all the other points. And that is... We are a church that is heavy on the Bible. Amen. Heavy on the Bible. We don't worship this word, but this word tells us who he is, who we worship. Amen? Yeah. We, we, everything, we want scripture to be in everything. And let me just tell you what we believe about this word. I tried to write it in a clear and concise manner. Let's see, you, you tell me if I did. The Bible is the inspired, authoritative living word of God, and has no error in it. Amen. Please understand, it has no error in it. I'll touch on that in a little bit. It was given by God, has been protected by God, preserved by God, and so that even through the passing of time and changing of language, it still is just as relevant and powerful as it ever was. Amen? Amen. Here's what I totally believe, that as liberalism and progressive Christianity and relativism has seeped into our seminaries and now into our churches, people really try a lot to explain away this book. That's what this progressive Christianity does. It says, well, when the writers of the Bible wrote it, they were very archaic in their thinking, and they just expressed the things of God as best they could. But now we're a modern people, so you, you really can't accept everything that they said back then because it's different now. Hogwash. And I only say hogwash because from the pulpit I can't say something more emphatic. <laughs> this Bible is as powerful and as relevant Today is when the authors wrote it, because the one author is the Holy Spirit. God inspired man to put pen to paper, and they wrote this book. Now, I know how the Bible uh, was brought together into what we call the canon, this one document. It was a lot of scrolls passed around from region to region as the church was exploding in growth. And while this was happening, yes, there was occasionally a word 
left out by this scribe or something like this. And so maybe in your Bible at the bottom, it might give you these little footnotes and little things to, to help you say, okay. But I want to tell you something. Even as those textual variants, what we call them, even as those textual variants may have happened, they're so, so minor. What did not ever happen is the truth got changed. Right. Never happened. Every doctrinal truth that was originally in here is still in here. Amen. Nothing changed. Amen. So just know that God's word is 100% true, and that's something that I'm willing to die for. I'm willing to live for it, and I'm, I'm willing to die for it. And there have been men along the way who have died for it. And so when we begin to try and explain this scripture away, we begin to doubt God's word. If you have to explain it away, it's because you doubted the word. And as God gave me a vision earlier in the year, I preached on it. It was this picture uh, of, of, of this wooden vessel off of a rocky shore, and the wind and waves was trying to push that vessel against the shore. It's just like the, the winds of time and the waves of change was constantly trying to push us as believers in Christ, us as individuals and as a church, trying to bring us to our destruction. And yet the anchor of our faith was tethered with God's word. And when you begin to question God's word, it's like somebody there on that boat trying to saw away at the anchor rope. As soon as you cut free from God's word, you are a shipwreck. Denominations right now are wrecking over this very thing. Churches are, are in destruction because they begin to question if that's God's word or not. It is 100% true from cover to cover. Amen. I believe it 100%. And so on that, that's who we are as a church, as a people based on this word of God. Amen. 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 And so just, just know that. We, we, liberalism tries to explain it away. Uh, relativism tries to explain it away. But we say, no, nope, this, is, this is the book. And our lives are based upon this book. And our knowledge of who God is, this is where I'm going next, is based upon this word. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Uh, let's look, though, before we move on to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture. Everybody say all. all. I like that. Y'all got in on that one. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's beneficial for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. In other words, every word in that Bible is beneficial to me as a believer, to us as a church, to you as a family. Every word in that Bible is beneficial for teaching me what's right, doctrine. For teaching me what's wrong, reproof. For helping me get right, <laughs> for correction. And helping me stay right, for instruction in righteousness. Amen. Would you say that book's valuable? Yes. Amen. I don't worship it. I don't worship the Bible. I underline and I write in it and I got, I mean, this is, but this is, this is my textbook for living. Yes. Amen. Because it's the word of God. God breathed it into the hearts and minds of men. And as they wrote, don't you know that he was watching over what they wrote down? They weren't robots. 
They weren't just, but, but you can see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you can see, especially in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as you hold them side by side, the synoptic gospels, as you hold them side by side, you see a little bit of Matthew in the writings of Matthew. You see a little bit of Mark's personality in the writing of Mark. Y'all following me? God, none of this scripture was written from the faculties of man, but it was breathed by God, and man put it to paper. All scripture is beneficial. All scripture is given by God. Amen, amen, amen. All right, I'm glad that you got along with me on that one. So the next one you would think is quite basic, but it's a good question. What do we believe about God? There are theological truths that we believe about God, and I could spend the rest of the year preaching on those theological truths, such as God's eternal. Amen? He has always been, and he always will be. He had no beginning. He has no end. In the first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Because when the beginning began, he was already here. Because he was the one that began the beginning. <laughs> in the book of Revelation, when you see that, it, that time's over and everything's been made new, he's still here. He don't start. He don't stop. He's eternal. That's the theological principle of God. He's eternal. Number two, and I'm just going to point out a couple. He's sovereign. Now, while that word, may not, you may not use that constantly, but what I believe that word means is that God reigns over everything. It's in the word. Sovereign, that last word, reign. He reigns over everything. I don't believe that he controls everything. Because you have a choice. And you make decisions. And some of those decisions are bad. And so if God controlled everything, then he's to blame for sin. He ain't to blame for sin. You're to blame for sin. That's another thing about being a conservative Bible-based church. Sin is still sin. We don't explain that away either. It's still sin. And so because God reigns over everything, but because man has free will, I carry a pistol. <laughs> ah, that's the truth. I know we're online. I'll probably, I'll probably get mail. Could, I, could God stop you from hurting my family? Could. But God gives man free will. You want to come hurt my family? I got something for you. So, <laughs> but here's what I do know. Even if you did hurt my family, I have a sovereign God who can turn anything bad into something good because he reigns over everything. Amen. I don't have to explain everything away that if God's good, then why did this happen? Because the world's bad. It was corrupted by sin. That's just what, that's the truth of God's word. I know that because I read this book. But the truth also is that God, it, there's no sin so great that God can't flip it on its head and turn it into something else. There's no hurt so bad, no offense so wrong that God can't heal you, fix it, and turn your test into a testimony, your mess into a message. That's how good our God is. That's how big he is, how mighty he is. Our God is sovereign. Amen. So I could just keep going down the list and go point by point about the theological, doctrinal truths about our God. But it's, it's, all that would do is build your head with knowledge. But the question that I want to ask you is not what you know about God, but what you feel about God. Jesus was constantly... Constant, and he was talking to religious people 
all the time and challenging their hearts about what they felt about God. They, he was talking to some very studied men and women, especially men, Pharisees and Sadducees, and he would challenge their thinking or feeling about God with stories like the prodigal son, which is actually a story about a loving father. That even when the son rebelled, that that father was looking down that road constantly. And the moment that he saw his boy, he went running after him and grabbed him up in his loving arms. And, and he said, we're fixing to have a party because my boy's come home. And, and we're going to kill the fatted calves. How long do you think he'd been fattening that calf? The loving father was waiting for his boy to come back. Jesus was constantly challenging people's feelings about the Father because the, the religious mafia of the day, the Sadducees and Pharisees, taught that he was cold and hard and indifferent, but that's the law. The law is cold and hard and indifferent, but Jesus come and fulfilled the law, and now through him we have grace. So he's challenging how people felt about God. So we know some things about God, of who he is, but do you know what he's like? Just think on that for a second. We know who he is. But do you know what he's like? Have you experienced God? Do you know him not just by reading his word, but do you know him by experiencing his life in you? So it, this is one of the things that, that, that this describes who we are as a church. We are a people who believe desperately in a personal relationship with the Lord. A personal relationship with the Lord. You need to know him for yourself. Not just from what I preach or what you read, but you need to know him for yourself. Amen. Amen. All right, let me move on. Jesus. I'm not going to preach a long time on Jesus because I just preached it during the, uh, the Resurrection Sunday, Easter. I did a five-week series on Jesus. I'm going to give you those five points. If you wasn't here, you can look it up online. I'm going to tell you, it was good. It was real good. <laughs> now, here's the five V's. that It would do you good to memorize these five V's. Five V's. V number one, virgin birth. You need to believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of being saved or lost. Every one of these five, well, the first four, uh, it is a matter of life and death. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. If he was not born of a virgin, he was then born of the sinful seed of man, and therefore he could not be perfect. But he was born of the seed of God and was and is perfect. Which leads to the next point, the virtuous life. Virgin birth led to a virtuous life. Because he was not born of the corrupted seed of man, he was born of the perfect seed of God and lived a holy life. Even in the presence of sin and even in the temptation of sin, that temptation had no effect on my Jesus. Amen? And he had to be perfect in order to die for me and for you because if you, you, can, die in my, you can die for me, but you can't die in my place. You know what I'm saying? You can't die in your death be marked off as my life. But Jesus can. Because he wasn't corrupted by sin. He was a perfect son of God. The only born son of God. And so I, I, I messed up. Uh, I missed some points here. Let me just go back to 1 John uh, chapter 4. Because when I started talking about God 
this all ties together. Don't just think that I've blown it and we need to go home. It don't all tie together. First John chapter 4, you know uh, who God is, but do you know how he is? Chapter 4, verse 8. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Here's where point number 2 and point number 3 tie together. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? In this is the love of God. In this the love of God was manifested, fleshed out. The word manifested means fleshed out. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God is love. That's what that word just said. Then we we were told how we can come into that love relationship through Jesus. But if we want to talk just for a second on how God is, and we come back to how Jesus is, we're told in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 how God is. If God is love, love suffers long and is kind. God is long-suffering and kind. Amen? I don't know if you're thankful for that, but I'm way thankful for that. Because he's had to suffer a long time with this country boy. Long-suffering and kind. If God is love, here's what the Bible says love is. Love is long-suffering and kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Why does God not need to do those things? Because he's God. Amen? He doesn't have to... He didn't have to shake you and say, I'm God. No, he's loving. And love doesn't have to do that. We come to know him by his love. Amen. Verse 5. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Ain't you glad that he believes that you will become what he created you to become? Because yes. Yes. if he didn't and you messed up, he'd just wad you up and throw you away. Yeah. Well, pfft, start over. I, I created with them with a purpose and a design, but they've blown it, so mm, let's start over. I make new people every day. <laughs> you know what? That's what I mean. He, he could have killed you. Should have killed me. But no, he is long-suffering. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And God is love. Amen. And Jesus is the manifestation of that love. He's the fulfillment of God's love. And this is why we at Sand Springs say, you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's a part of who we are. It ought to be a part of who you are. Because we're your family. He's our father. And we bear his characteristics. Amen. Amen. So the five things of Jesus. Virgin birth. Virtuous life. Vicarious death. He died in your place. Fulfilling the righteous requirements of God that you couldn't fulfill. He fulfilled on our behalf. And so he's our substitutionary atonement. He died in my place. And in your place. But my. the, The one I really like the most. Is number four, his victorious resurrection. Amen. I told you that these things you need to believe. It's a matter of life and death. If you don't believe these things, you're lost. 
It's not enough to, to believe that Jesus was a historical figure, that he was the, the, the beginning of this group called Christians. No, it's not enough to believe that he was. It's enough to believe that he is. <laughs> Amen. He rose from the grave victoriously, and he's still alive today and forevermore. It's essential to salvation. Amen. Here's what the scripture says. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is essential to salvation. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Amen. If you don't believe it, you're not saved. And that's just as simple as that. And then the fifth, fifth V of Jesus is his very soon return. And uh, you, you may not believe that and still be saved, but that's all right. Uh, you look around, and uh, to me, it looks like it's very soon. <laughs> it's very, good night, it looks like it's a very soon return. And so, uh, and I thank him for it, because if it gets much messier around here, uh, I don't know what we're going to do. I do know what we're going to do. The church is victorious, too. Even in the midst of yuck and death, the church will still remain victorious. Right. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we talked about the Word. We've talked about God the Father. We've talked about God the Son. You need a personal relationship with God the Father. How do you get it? Through God the Son. Well, what's the next part of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit. I don't know if you ever run across critics of the Word. Or, uh, I'm sure you do. And people who question the, the scriptures and say, well, there's certain things not in the Bible. If they say that the Trinity is not in the Bible, they are ignorant and unlearned. Yeah. From the very beginning of the book of Genesis where he says, let us, yeah. to where Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And God the Father speaks and the Holy Spirit lights on him. Yeah. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three. Yeah. All the, all, so, so what I'm pointing out is there's some... some uh, Mm, doctrinal heresies that says, well, God operated in the Old Testament in this way, and God operated in the Gospels this way, and God, God operates in the New Testament this way, and so he takes different forms throughout history. No, it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1-1, and it was all three in Revelation 25, whatever that verse is. <laughs> He's, it, it's, this is God. And I can't understand the Trinity fully. I'll just tell you the truth. I can't understand it fully. Uh, but, but to try and understand it, it could cause you to lose your mind. But to deny it could cause you to lose your salvation. <laughs> no, I don't mean that you had it and then lost it, but that you never get it if you deny God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So these are things that, these are our core beliefs. These are our core beliefs. These are our values. These are who we are. What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? If we would quit trying to explain this word away, and we could, would quit trying to explain his works away, we'd be in a lot better shape. If the Holy Spirit is still doing the very same thing today that he was doing in Acts chapter 2. And if you just quit trying to explain that away, you'd be a lot better off. You'd have less stress, less headaches and worry because you're trying to explain away the works of the Holy Spirit. He's still doing those things. Why? Because we need him today more than we've ever needed him before. And he's still God and God doesn't change. And so let's just see what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, in verse 15, 
Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, sounds easy. He says that life of keeping his commandments is an expression of love to him. All right? Verse 16. And I will pray the Father. By the way, this is interesting. Can you keep his commandments? Then you're going to need some help. I can't keep it on my own. I cannot keep his commandments. I'm going to need some help. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he'll give you a helper. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to need some help. And notice that the helper is capitalized because this is a proper, this is God. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Well, that explains some things. When the world is trying to explain what God is doing at Sand Springs, when the world is trying to explain what God is doing in your life, when the world is trying to explain, and they can't see the Holy Spirit, they can't know the Holy Spirit, well, then just know that they can't. They can't explain it. And, and, and here's what he says, the world don't have him. Why? Because he only comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says the world can't have him. You have him because he gave him to you. He sent him to you. So these are some spiritual truths that you need to, to, to grasp. That, that, the, that God, the Holy Spirit, is working in the life of believers. And Jesus is the way you get that access to God and that work of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is a statement that I make a lot of times. I get a lot of, of, of crazy looks when I say it. And it's okay if you call him this. It's, it's fine. But Jesus is not the living water. The Bible does not say Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the fountain of living water. He's the source of living water. The Holy Spirit's the living water. In John chapter 7, Jesus in the middle of a festival hollers out, If anybody's thirsty, what? Come to me. And I will give you. You catching it? If I'm thirsty, I'll go out there to that water fountain. But the water fountain ain't the water. Jesus said, he's the fountain, he's the source. You've got to come to the, to, to the Savior, who is the source, to get the Spirit. Yeah. And so Jesus says, I will send the Spirit to you. The, Holy, the Bible, if you look it up in John chapter 7. If you're thirsty, come to me, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. And it then says, he thus spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, who had not yet been sent into the world. Well, now he has been. Jesus says, I'm going to send him. By the way, he's a him, not a it. Yeah. Don't call the Holy Spirit a it. Yeah. This is one of the persons of God. Amen. Amen. I'm, man, I'm giving y'all treasure today. <laughs> y'all need to be, y'all need to be just like jumping up down in the seats and stuff. It would help me. Verse 17. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. When he said that future tense will be in you, just know he's talking to his disciples before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, before Pentecost. We are out after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. Amen. Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Verse 23 of chapter 14, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my, what? He'll do what? Keep his what? That's why we started with the word. Amen. What you believe about these scriptures. He will keep my word. 
And my Father will love Him. And we will come to Him. And make our home with Him. What a powerful one verse of Scripture. Jesus says, if you love Him, you'll keep this. And He, the three, will come to you and me. That almost rhymes, don't it? I was a poet and didn't know it. Let's read again. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's a natural, this is the, it's a natural reaction to a love for him. We keep his word. He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, in case you wondered who the helper was, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance. Bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Ain't you thankful? I'm thankful that he sent someone to remind me because I forget things. I forget a lot of things. I tell people it's not absent-mindedness, it's clutter-mindedness. I got a lot of stuff going on in there, and I forget things. But you know what? Early on, I asked, Lord, would you help me get a grasp on this word? Holy Spirit, would you bring to my remembrance the words of my Savior? And you know what? He does that in miraculous ways sometimes. In the middle of a mess, when I'm questioning things in life and struggle, I never question this. But when I struggle with things, the Holy Spirit will come and bring me truth of God's scripture scripture that maybe I've memorized in my childhood will also just come to mind why because he's the one who reminds us the words chapter 15 verse 26 but when the helper comes whom I shall send to you from the father I don't know if you're recognizing it but we have all three God the father God the Holy Spirit, God the Son being mentioned in this verse of Scripture. It's not this, he's, he worked in a mode in that time and he worked in a mode in this time. And No, it's, this is the Trinity. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. When, when, when we are drawing near to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is operating within us. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And when we exalt Jesus, Holy Spirit shows up and he's like all excited because that's what he does. <laughs> it would, when we lift up Jesus, he shows up. And so just know this is who we are at Sand Springs. We believe every word of this without explaining any of it away. We believe everything about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit without trying to explain anything away. Amen. Now... I know that in today's uh, world and uh, churchianity, you got denominations and divisions galore. But here's, here's something else that I will tell you is the DNA of Sand Springs. I believe if we can go back to the church at its infancy, before divisions and denominations, if we can go back to church at its infancy, that was when it was most pure. That's when it was most pure. Before man messed stuff up. And so we are constantly trying to get to the purity, the simplicity of Christ. Amen. And so, so just know that that's who we are. We believe God still does everything today that he did way back then. Because that's who he is. He says, I am God, I do not change. That's who he says. So, I uh, 
just kind of wanted to share with you, as a church, this is who we are. And it's not enough to have intellectual or biblical or theological knowledge of God. My question then becomes, how do you feel about him? How do you feel about him? Now, this is in direct contradiction to some of the stuff that I was taught early on. I was taught early on that feelings didn't matter. Just get past feelings. Just, just scratch off feelings. It's, we don't want an emotional relationship with the Lord. That was what I was told uh, that, that a lot of people just want a lot of emotion. And, and what this teaching was that I was brought under, uh, it, it was a uh, reaction uh, they didn't like the, uh, the people who raised their hands in worship. They didn't like people who were kind of emotional or, or dramatic in their worship. And so they tried to separate emotions from Christianity. And yet, why would Jesus talk about the heart over and over and over and over? And why would Jesus address the Sadducees and the Pharisees who reduced, Jesus, who reduced God the Father to a group of theological truths but apart from an emotional understanding. Why would Jesus combat this, this lie that God is basically distant and cold and you better hold to these laws, these truths, these standards, and if you don't, he's going to smack you? And why would Jesus constantly come against that teaching? Because God is an emotional God and he works through your emotions and it's part of who you are. And the truth of the matter is, I'm going, to I'm going to say that what you believe is more based on what you feel than what you know. And we say that belief is based on what you know. But the truth of the matter is, it is only a knowledge until it has soaked through into your emotions. Then it has become a belief. Y'all track it with me? Yep. Let's say you have knowledge of God, and yet you enter into a crisis. A disaster has now happened in your life and your family. You have entered into a crisis, and you have a knowledge, but your feelings have not caught up with your knowledge. Guess which way you're going to go? The direction of your feelings. That's the way you're going to go. Not the direction of your knowledge. You're going to go the way of your feelings. If you know that God is trustworthy and yet feel that, well, I'm a different case. I'm a different case. Yes, God's trustworthy, but I'm kind of a stepson. Kind of a second class saint. I, God has no stepchildren. He has no second class saints. You are just as much a child of God as, catch this, Jesus was. He was born a son of God, and you were born again, the child of God. You are a child of God. And if that don't mess you up, let this one mess you up. This one messed me up. I, it had me for days studying one verse of Scripture, not only one verse of Scripture, one word. I couldn't get off this word. And it's, it's a two-letter word, A-S. And I couldn't get off of it. I, it, it floored me when I read when I heard it. It was a heard, I heard it in a different translation, and when I heard it, it just jacked me up. Chapter seventeen of John, verse twenty-three. 
Jesus is praying to his father about me and you. And he says, I in them, Jesus is saying him in you and me, you, God, in me, Jesus says, I in them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one through the unity of Christ. We become mature men and women of God. And that the world may know that you have sent me. How does the world know that, he, that God sent Jesus? Because of us. And maturity and unity. Y'all tracking with me? It's a loaded verse of scripture. There's a lot in this verse of scripture. But the world will come to know him. Jesus told his disciples the same thing. The world will know you. The world will know him through you. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, here's the word, as you have loved me. Yeah. I read it in another translation. I believe that was a New Living Translation. It messed me up. I had to get alone with the Lord for days studying that one word. Was that translation correct? Because it said that he loves you and that he loves me yeah. as much yeah. as. He loves Jesus. I know me. And I ain't that lovable. And for God, the Holy One, the Righteous One, to say that He loved me as much as He loved Jesus, mm-mm, God, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. Jesus was perfect. I messed up. Jesus was perfect. I am flawed. You can't love me like that. And it messed me up. And it changed everything that I believed about me, but it also changed everything I believe about him. That God would love this mess of a man as much as he loved the perfect, begotten son of God, Jesus. It offended me. Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended on my behalf. It offended me. Like, no, no, no. You can't love me that much. I don't love you that much. Because now I got honest. You know why I, didn't, I knew I didn't love him that much? Because he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm like, I can't. I don't love you like that. How can you love me like that? I'm not worth loving like that. And God said, in my eyes, you are. Amen. This is who we are. This is why we do what we do. This is why we worship the way we worship. Because we love him. When I began to understand how he loved me, you know what really did begin to happen? Yes, I was offended at first. I was messed up for a while. But what really began to happen is I started loving him that way. I love him. Amen. It's his Kindness, it's his goodness that leads us to repentance, is what it says in Romans. So, how do you feel about God? What do you know about God? Yeah, that's important. How do you feel about God? And then finally, let me mess you up with this one. How do you feel that God feels about you? How do you feel that he feels about you? Oh, he just tolerates me. He has to, I'm saved. He has to, I'm his child. He just tolerates me no the bible says he's crazy about you he loves you amen i think it's a good place to stop